since we had had an eight-month hiatus from Galatians, I attempted last week to kind of give some broad, very broad overview of some things out of Galatians. We'd, I'd like to pick up this morning in chapter 3, um, recovering again some, some ground, but um, perhaps with a little different emphasis. So Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us, you would instruct us and teach us, that you would cause our eyes to be open, that we might see you, that we might see your plan of salvation that we might see how we ought to live, and that we, again, we would glorify you and make your name known in this community where we live, that you would be honored and glorified. In Christ's name we pray, amen. What a way to be, again, Oh, foolish Galatians, or in our modern vernacular, he might just as well have said, oh, you knuckleheads, you nitwits. He's not calling them stupid. He's not saying you, you don't know anything, but I think he is looking at their failure to understand, your failure to comprehend what is happening? What is coming against you? Paul has addressed them only once previously, directly. He calls them brethren. And we have that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling, which I think we should have, that he, these are my brothers and sisters, and now he calls them foolish Galatians. Why the change? And it, it is stark, I think, to, to our modern ears to see him say something like that. How, how, how could he do that? But again, I would draw you to the, the tenor, uh, the voice of the apostle, that there is an intensity, there is a passion in his writing. And Paul is disappointed on the one hand, and he's indignant on the other. He, he's already said in chapter 1, that I, I, I'm amazed that you have so quickly uh, gone astray, that you're deserting him who called you for another gospel. And he's given some indication in leading up to chapter 3 of his own coming to Christ, of his own understanding of the gospel and how it's played out in his ministry. But, but now his focus is on them. 
Now he's putting the, at least the questions to them. I believe his overall focus is not on the Galatians at all. But he's asking them about their personal experience, their personal spiritual walk. And he's addressing them by rebuke. And it is true, as one of the commentators has, say, has said, he, he has more force than he does tact. Uh, he, he kind of rambles on. He says in verse 2, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. And he asks the question, and then before they can answer, he gives three more questions. There's an intensity here trying to address what he sees is a grave wrong. He, he's more than a little concerned. He is very concerned that they are going astray, that they are d damaging or deserting, as he has said in chapter 1, deserting him who called them through the gospel. Now, there are many terms in here, and we could spend a lot of time, and there's been a lot of ink uh, used to try to define what does Paul mean by these things in here. Works of the law, and hearing with faith. And what is this by the Spirit, and by the flesh? And we won't be able to take all of those in depth, but I, in my study, and again, continuing to study more and more as I read and, and work through this, this book. But to me, the works of the law mean human actions. They're, they're, if, if you wanted to boil it down to one word, it would be doing. It, it's something that humans do. Human actions here, works of the law, in obedience to the law of Moses. Or what some would say, doing Torah. The, the, the book of the law. And what we see here, and I call them the agitators, other words use the word Judaizers, those who would try to Judaize them, it seems to be to me that they are insisting that the believers in Galatia keep the law, keep the law of Moses in order to stay in the realm of God's grace. That there is the getting into the kingdom, but there seems to be in this passage, Paul in the language and the, the tense of the verbs, the staying in the kingdom, staying as a Christian. And I believe that when he says by the flesh, it is a broad idea, again, of human doing, of self-achievement. Uh, someone has written this definition of by the flesh. Quote, human nature apart from God's spirit in all its sin and weakness. It's just the, the idea of this is what natural man is like in all of his weakness, in all of his sin. And again, the, the agitators were coming to the Galatian believers and saying that becoming a son of Abraham, becoming a true believer and attaining righteousness is a faith plus religion. It's faith plus the Torah. And these are the things that you must do to achieve, to be counted as righteous. And I would 
equate those terms, the works of the law, or other places Paul uses just simply the term works, and I would equate those with or um, closely allied to the phrase by the flesh. But what does he mean hearing by faith? Well, hearing has more than just I, I hear the sound. Um, it, it makes me think of the um, man that I saw at the Woodworkers Guild. He was turning objects out of wood on a lathe. If any of you have seen, they're spinning at about 1600 RPM. And you've got a big chunk of wood and you stick a piece of metal on it and you try to make a shape. And he was very good at it, making bowls that any of you would love to have in your kitchen to put fruit in. And he was turning these beautiful bowls and he himself was completely blind. He was doing this blind. <laughs> and he said to us who were listening, those of us who were sighted, when he would touch the bowl, he would, because that's one of the things you do to feel how it's coming along, and he would say, you know, you touch, but I feel. And the other thing you do is listen to the sound of the tool on the bowl. And he would say, you listen, but I hear. And what he means, I think, is what Paul means here by hearing. It is a receptivity. We would call it in the spiritual realm, faithful receptivity. There's an attentiveness, and it's accompanied with trust, and it's accompanied with obedience. It's more than just, I hear the sound. It's that receptivity, that understanding and what is the trust and obedience in? Yeah, obviously, it's in the giver. It's a trust in the, in the giver, the one who has brought this revelation, what we actually hear, and trusting his message, the content of the message, and it results in a disposition to obey. So when we read these things in here, hopefully you have a little idea how to connect them together as we look at these questions briefly as we go. Verse 6, I will admit, I don't know what to do with. It has been called a Janus, if I'm saying that correctly. Janus was the Roman god that had two faces, and it was the god of doorways. A doorway opens and looks back where you have come from, but also looks forward to where you're going. And I believe that for Paul, he's making that transition in verse 6 from the initial questions, the rhetorical questions to lay the groundwork to look forward to his exposition, where he's going with that. And what he asks us to do and is going to do beyond in verse 6 is say, consider Abraham. Have you thought about Abraham? Have you thought about what God has said about him, that it was reckoned to him as righteousness, his faith? And so as we go, we're going to look back. But we'll look back at these rhetorical questions. But Paul, I believe, in all of these questions is expecting a certain answer, a certain thing that he has in mind that 
perhaps in his untactful way, perhaps bumbling a little bit, and in his excitement does bring us toward a certain answer. He begins with a rebuke and a reminder, and they're connected by the language of the Greek, the idea of the eye. He says in verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has given you the evil eye? Who has brought an evil influence by the way they have looked at you? And in the first century culture, and I understand from looking on the internet, that it's still in some cultures today, that idea of the evil eye was meant to ward off evil, but it's also meant to give evil, or to look at someone in a way that says, I'm, you better watch out for me, I'm coming after you. He's not thinking of witchcraft or sorcery. The language is, who's given you an evil influence? Who has brought this against you? Who has given you the evil eye? But have you thought about what your eye has seen? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The, the word is placarded. He's, he's posted it about town. He's, he's made this known publicly, not by printing posters, but by his message, by his gospel preaching. He has proclaimed Christ and him crucified. He's given a vivid verbal description of what happened. They did not actually see Christ crucified as Paul did not, but... He has given them the message of the gospel in word to portray what God has done in Christ on the cross. And it's that glory that he would bring them to see. They may be giving you the evil eye, but your eye has seen, your eye has beheld the glory of Christ crucified. What does Paul say to the Corinthian believers? We, we see the glory of God in, in the crucified Christ, do we not? We see the glory of God and the wisdom of God in what he has done. And indeed, he says there, the Jews and the Gentiles both stumbled over this thing, the crucifixion. They, they found it offensive. I mean, how foolish is it that you would look for life because of a dead man. How foolish is it that you would inherit salvation by the suffering and the cruel death of another man? And yet, Paul says, it is the highest evidence of God's loving care for his own that he gave his only son. Yes, it's beyond our reason and understanding to, to ferret it all out. But Christ humbled himself to become the mediator between God and man. He freely chose to take upon himself the cross, that sentence of death. He freely chose to notice lowly sinners, to serve them, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
John Owen says, Christ of his own choice obeyed the law of God. He says, think about it. Christ was the Lord of the law, and yet he submitted himself to the law. He was above the law, and yet he subjected himself to its curse and to its claims. Owen writes, quote, His obedience, being absolutely perfect, revealed the holiness of God in the law. Without Christ's life and obedience to the law and going to the cross for the curse of the law, we would not have known the full holiness of God Almighty. And we see his glory in his sufferings, in his agony, in his blood, in that praying, weeping, dying, soul-offering Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says he was publicly portrayed as crucified, as having been crucified. There are churches still today, or those that call themselves churches, that crucify Christ again and again and again. That's not what Paul is saying. He doesn't say you crucify him as a way of your spiritual life. He is saying you have to understand as having been crucified means that it is something that has happened, but it has continuing significance for you. And he's going to illustrate that in the questions that he's about to ask. It is God who has done this thing. It is God who continues to bring this cross before your eyes that you might understand how you move on in the Christian life. So Paul is wondering, if, if you see all this, if, if truly you're not just looking, but you're actually seeing, how can you accept any kind of human works program? How can you forget all this? How can you look at the cross and see what Christ has done and think that you can add anything to that? Foolish Galatians, indeed. And now he gives them, I wrote it in my outline as the four-question quiz, but it's really four rebukes. Paul appeals again to them and their spiritual experiences. What have you seen in your life? Is this how you have understood it? And we'll look at these very quickly. Again, they're all, I believe, related. Let's look at verse 2. He says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? He, this is the starting point. He's looking at their beginning. Their, as they became Christians, at your conversion, how did it come about? Did you work for it? Or did you receive it? Well, look at the words. Did you receive the Spirit by the works, uh, by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did it come about? Paul assumes that there is the inner working of the Holy Spirit. Paul is a Trinitarian. 
we have God the Father, we have God the Son, and he brings God the Holy Spirit. He, he believes there is a new era here. There, there is something different that has happened to them. Did you receive the Spirit? And how? By works of the law or by hearing with faith? We know from the book of Joel that, that God and told us, the prophet told us that this era would come. He says, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I believe Paul is saying those days are here. This, this is the new era. This is the Christ event has happened. And this is how you know. In verse 3, he says, are you so foolish? Can it be? Again, you hear the intensity. Can it really be that you're that foolish? Did you begin by means of the Spirit? But are you now being perfected by the faith, by, by the flesh? Again, do you see, he's now moving on. You started, and it had to be one of two ways. Either you worked for it or you received it. And that was your conversion. But now I believe, again, the language says, yeah, it's, I'm not just thinking of one time, but how are you going on? How will you finish? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, have you now changed the program that you're going on by the flesh? By finishing, it means bring it to completion. How is it going to be? Is it going to be by the Spirit, or are you going to finish by the flesh? Does the program change partway through? Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? He's speaking, it's a question of persecution, and we don't really know. He doesn't explain what he has in mind here. But I think of it as in the sovereignty of God, the things that you've gone through. Because you are a Christian, you've experienced some things. And we know even today, many people become Christians and their family rejects them. Their friends leave them. People think they're foolish. They make fun of them. And perhaps that's what he has in mind. The Spirit has been ministering in your life and he says, did you suffer so many things in vain? Oh, if indeed it was in vain, did you experience all these things from the Holy Spirit and the sovereignty of God, the things that you've gone through by choice? And if you had a choice, do you think, oh, that was in vain? I could have worked my way easier. I wouldn't have had to go through the suffering. I wouldn't have had to let God direct my life and give me the Spirit. I could have just done these things for myself. Has it been in vain? Again, he's looking at their current situation. He's looking at their moving on in the Christian life. Not just the moment of salvation, not just the moment of conversion, but you live this life. You say you are a Christian. How are you living in it? You be, if you began by the Spirit, are you now living in the flesh? 
Was it vain that the Spirit was given to you, and yet you should have worked for it yourself? Have this, has this not taught you, Galatians, that God, His faithfulness is sufficient for you? That His protection is all that you need? Verse 4, or verse 5, Does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You, you've had this provision of the Spirit. You've had miracles done among you. You've seen signs and wonders. You've seen your lives change. But how did it happen? How is this? Does it happen by works of the law? Did you work to make it happen? Or did it come by hearing with faith? What does Paul want to know? What does he really want to know? Well, it has been said that the key point of this passage is the means by which the Galatians experienced the signs and blessings of this new era, of the era of the Spirit, of Christ. And we see the answer even back up in chapter 2, in verse 16, that it's not by works of the law, because by works of the law shall no man be justified. And I think we get that. They would say that, no, I became a Christian by hearing with faith. I became a Christian, as Paul says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. I believe that they would all say that. It, it wasn't by works, I didn't know what to do. It was by hearing with faith. When I heard the gospel, when I saw Christ and him crucified, and my life was changed by God, that it, I did receive it, that God, in fact, did provide the Holy Spirit. But I think his key concern in this passage to me is now what happens next, the means by which the Galatians will continue in their Christian experience. The agitators said... You must add to your faith the keeping of the law as a means, as a way to finish, to bring your Christian life to completion. That's what I understand that Paul is addressing. And Paul says, just as in your conversion, it's not by works of the law. You receive the Spirit by hearing with faith. The answer doesn't change. You did not, you do not continue, and you have not been continuing from the day you became believers by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. And to give away some of the punchline, I believe that this section, Galatians 3 and 4 and down to verse 12 of chapter 5, all are part of his argument. But in chapter 5, verse 5, we hear Paul saying, But we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. 
Paul's hope is not in works of the law and his ability to do them and to keep them and to follow them. But it's through the Spirit, by faith, that he awaits for the hope of the completion of his faith. So what does this mean? Again, I believe that the language of this text leads us to conclude that Paul's focus is not on the believers. They had come under the regenerating influence of the Holy Spirit. They were beginning to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I remind you that fruit is singular there. It's not, you can have joy and he can have peace and he can have, it's fruit. It's what the Holy Spirit works in us. They had begun to see that. They had begun to see the Spirit doing things in their lives and in their midst. They were, and there are, only two possibilities for the Spirit's coming. Either the Spirit comes to us by works of the law, or by hearing with faith. It cannot be both. If the Spirit is by works, then there is something I must do to get him. And what we would be saying to God is Christ's work was not enough. I have enjoyed reading the commentary by Philip Ryken on Galatians. He, he writes in a style that I enjoy. And as I was looking for an illustration, what, what would help? Uh, some of the commentators take us to the very beautiful things that we see in Pilgrim's Progress, but I'll leave that to our brother David, who is much more um, conversant with uh, John Munyon than I am. But Riken writes this, and something I can relate to because I'm a baseball fan. He says, what the agitators would be saying to us is this, you must let Moses finish what Christ has done. Or rather, you yourself must finish, by your obedience to the law, what Christ has begun. It would be something like retracing Babe Ruth's signature on the baseball. Rather than adding to its value, doing so would completely destroy it. We would try to add our signature to what Christ has done on the cross and by his death and burial and resurrection, and add our name to the bottom. Jesus Christ and Mark. And it would completely destroy the glorious work that he has done. They knew, and we know, that the cause of the things that they had experienced and the life that they had in Christ was not in themselves. Their justification and right standing before God and their current lives as Christians depended not on works of the law, but hearing with faith. So Paul concludes, I believe, with somewhat of an expected answer for those who are being pointed toward Judaism, toward the Old Testament, just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, that's how it happens for you 
and for me. The Spirit was received because it was given by God. The miracles happened, and the Spirit worked among you because God provided him. In other words, I think it is safe to say that the focus is not on the works of the person who does, but on the nature, on the faithfulness, on the grace and loving kindness of the God who does. Let us pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to see these things, help us to hear these things, help us to understand these things. They are great and they are high and they are wonderful. And they point us to you and to your Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would help us to dig into these things further, to see if these things be so, to seek you out in prayer. And we do ask that you would, again, you would build your church. You would construct her and, and wash her and set her apart that she might be light and salt in this world for your glory and your honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please rise for the benediction. From Romans chapter 10, in the same passage where he talks about the hearing of the gospel, Paul writes this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be 